The voice of the Lord is upon the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord is upon the mighty waters. I remember a time when I was about 10 years old and was body surfing in the Atlantic Ocean near my grandmother's house in North Carolina. And it was exhilarating. I remember feeling the power of the wave picking me up and propelling me. And I also remember sudden moments of finding myself out of control, water churning everywhere unable to come up with sand in my eyes and face and hair, and unable to do anything but wait until the force of the wave sent me back up, spluttering and shaken. Water. It's the primeval element, and it's friendly, and it's also wild. We need it to live. We are made of it. We use it to clean ourselves, but it's also strong, stronger than we are. Even the gentle Atlantic was wild enough to scare me. And on our side, the Pacific Ocean is more fearsome. We have regular tragedies, just another last week when people are carried away by devastating sneaker waves. In the book of Genesis, we have this picture of the beginning of creation as a formless void, empty, except for a vast, dark ocean of water. Water somehow even before everything else is created. The only thing that exists other than God. Water as the primordial chaos and a wind from God or the spirit of God, for in Hebrew and Greek, wind and spirit are the exact same word. A wind spirit from God sweeping to and fro over the waters. Today, Jesus comes to those waters, those churning waters of creation. John the Baptist, who himself is an agent of chaos, a wild man, has appeared at the river preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. That's how it's described. The baptism of John is about repentance and forgiveness of sins. So surely, if there is anyone who doesn't need this baptism, it's the sinless one. But Jesus comes to John and willingly asks to be baptized anyway to plunge into the roiling waters of the River Jordan, to close his eyes and let his head slip beneath the waves. And the eternal changeless God puts aside the perfect safety of Godhood to plunge into the churning and dangerous messiness of a world that is very much not God. Why is there a world in the first place. Why are we here? Why is anything here? That's one of the famous perennial questions of philosophers. Why is there something rather than nothing? We could imagine a reality where God never chose to create anything. Consider God before the creation. Timeless, changeless, perfect, eternal, platonic, 
it's a pretty safe picture. Not messy, not dangerous, beautiful, ideal. But God isn't satisfied with that picture. God chose to create something that wasn't God, something finite, something varied, something splendid, a universe full of stars, rocks, water, life. A universe that could go astray and has in so many ways. A universe that could also choose to love. And then came the incarnation. God choosing not just to create that universe and to love it, and to love the living creatures that were part of it, but actually to become one of them, to become part of that universe as a human being. We celebrated that great mystery at Christmas, the incarnation, God taking flesh. But now today, on the Sunday after Epiphany, we see this incarnate God entering in even more deeply into the depths of our human condition not just into flesh, but into sinful flesh, into the brokenness and alienation of our condition by choosing this baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins as the sinless one chooses to be identified as one of us sinful humans, even though he doesn't need to. Back in the 1990s, when I lived in Georgia, some friends introduced me to the Southern comedian, Jeff Foxworthy, who was pretty famous at that time for his, you might be a redneck routines. And I remember one of his routines where he said, you know, people say Bill is a great friend. Bill would get up at 3 a.m. to go bail you out of jail. Which Jeff Foxworthy says, I never understood because Bill is really such a great friend. His butt would be in jail with you. And Jesus decided to get in jail with us. So much so that he dives into our suffering, our pain, our confusion. Even eventually to the point of a shameful death on the cross. You know, even after he is raised, he still has the marks of that death. In Luke's and John's Gospels, when he appears to his friends, he shows them the scars in his hands and feet and side. These wounds that stay with him, these marks of just what he has been through for us, with us. Even in the glory of the resurrection, these wounds are transformed. They're not erased. It's as if even God's own self in some way has been affected by this entry into human existence and suffering. It's as if God has been tattooed or branded with the deepest pain of creation in the most intimate way. This week, as if we needed new examples, we saw the chaos and pain of human existence in some very clear ways. A mob in the U.S. Capitol building, Confederate flags, and even Nazi paraphernalia paraded through its hallways, a gallows erected outside it. Signs of hatred, signs of racism, signs of domination in the symbolic heart of this country's democracy. 
it was a dramatic, it was a traumatic illustration of realities that have been there for a long time, if not on such flagrant display. And in some ways, I think what happened this week in Washington made such an emotional impact because it was such a departure from the predictable, the orderly, and the safe, which so many in this prosperous and powerful country have come to be able to expect and take for granted. Now, that's not the case for everyone. There are many people in this country who have never experienced that sense of entitlement to order and predictability, whose lives or livelihoods are always on the edge of danger. It could be from an unpaid sick leave leading to a lost job, leading to an unpaid rent, leading to a life on the street. It could be from a sudden knock on the door leading to a deportation. It could be from a traffic stop gone bad leading to a life snuffed out. There are many people in this country who don't have that sense of entitlement to predictability. But there are also many in this country who are used to at least some of the privileges that insulate us from the natural world, from discomfort, from danger, from loss. We have insurance. We have retirement plans. We have car doors that can lock. We are able in some ways, at least, to convince ourselves that we can hold the messy uncontrollability of reality at arm's length. I suspect we live in a particularly safety-oriented culture because we're such a prosperous one. But all humans seek safety because we know that we're finite and fragile. Today in the baptism of Jesus, we see a God who is not finite and not fragile, who chooses to be. A God who sees danger and runs toward it, who jumps into the churning seas with us so that we might not be abandoned. Now, most of us here online today have also been baptized. Baptized as we heard in the book of Acts today, not into the baptism of John, but into the baptism into Jesus. Baptized in his name, made a part of him, joining him in that life that is life out of death. If you haven't yet been baptized, I invite you to seek it, to listen to the call of Jesus to join him in this way. Do it, but don't think that it will be a small step or an easy path. Because being baptized into Christ means being sucked under by those powerful waters and coming up gasping for breath with your identity forever changed. And God will fill you with breath, the breath of the Spirit, the wind of the Spirit, to propel you out to love and serve. Some of us go into baptism fully aware. Some of us aren't even conscious at the time. Some of us are newborns, some of us very old. We might be baptized in a safe little glass font or in a fast flowing river or with a few drops in a hospital bed. But when we're baptized into Jesus, we become a part of Jesus. We become little Jesuses ourselves. 
not sinless, but growing into the sinlessness of Jesus through the transformation of that spirit. And when we're baptized into that spirit, we are freed from the need to keep pursuing safety on our own terms. We're freed from the need to try to keep ourselves safe, to try to, try to grasp for solutions, to insulate ourselves from the danger of the universe, because Jesus has been raised from the dead. And in that resurrection, we have true safety. The only safety we can ever need, and really the only safety we can ever have from death, from evil, from danger. And so we get commissioned in baptism to join Jesus in setting aside safety and comfort to pursue the work of love, loving a creation so beautiful in God's eyes that we were worth leaving behind every kind of safety for. So come on in. Water isn't safe, but it's good. It doesn't come with a safety label, just an invitation.